Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. All right, man, got a super uh, exciting announcement to make. The Meat Eater podcast is going on a live tour. We're starting out with four dates, Denver, Colorado, Tempe, Arizona, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Columbus, Ohio. So we're spreading this love out around the country. Now, what you can do, you go to www.meateater.live to get yourself some information and tickets. You can go the VIP route, which I recommend where you come for a pre-show experience, hang out with me, Giannis Butelis, special guest that will be announcing soon. We'll do an exclusive little private Q&A session, get your pictures taken, book signed, general hangout. And then you stick around for the real show where everyone from the podcast is up on the stage wrestling with all those vexing questions that come up in the hunting and fishing world talking about hot tips and tricks, wild game, weird trivia, just the usual bullshitting. Um, If you just want to go the general admission route, you will admittedly, you'll miss that opening deal there, but you'll come for the main show and get the real juice out of it. So I cannot wait to meet all of you members of the Meat Eater community at the Meat Eater Podcast Live Tour www.meateater.live get your tickets now see you soon this is the meat eater podcast coming at you shirtless severely bug bitten and in my case underwearless we hunt the meat eater podcast you can't predict anything Yanni, do you know, do you remember, how did we get in our heads that Missouri's turkeys are the hardest turkeys to hunt in the whole wide uh, world? Partially, I don't know all the reasons, but part of it is because my friends that I guided with from, who are from Missouri, used to always say that. They told you that. Yeah, because I started hunting turkeys in Nebraska and started killing turkeys in Nebraska and they would say, yeah, but you really haven't hunted a turkey yet. Let me tell you about these turkeys down here where we're from. Yeah. So that's that's where it started for me. I think that com- I haven't hunted Nebraska, but my understanding of it and the type of turkey that's running around there 
uh, I could see that that might be true, that Missouri's harder than that. But are you guys familiar with that Missouri's the hard? How many states have you hunted turkeys in, oh, Parker? A lot. I don't have to add them up, but yeah, I, I don't know that more the, than a dozen. More than a dozen for sure. Okay, Brandon, how many states you hunted turkeys in? Half a dozen or so. But I got a theory on why people say they're the hardest to kill, and that's because at a time in our country when so many game species were being extirpated, the wild turkey was able to hold on just in a small amount down here in southern Missouri. And in it, the Ozarks. In the Ozarks. And then in the 1930s, when they really started trying to turn things around with conservation and started their game survey on turkeys, it was uh, Starker Leopold that was down here working on the wild turkey. These turkeys ended up becoming the, the basically the stock that was used to not only repopulate other parts of Missouri, but then Missouri turkeys were taken to Wisconsin and Indiana and other Midwestern states. So the... The whole repopulation of the wild turkey across the eastern United States has a lot to do with these turkeys that were just unkillable in the Ozarks. Yeah, but the, I feel like I've heard, I though, like that, that Missouri's not the only holdout. That there no, were there no. were other holdouts. I've heard that about yeah, well, the swamps of South Carolina. Alabama I've heard Alabama. Had hold, Alabama had holdouts. North and South Carolina. North Carolina in the high country, right? South Carolina in the low country. Yeah, that's certainly you know, true. A handful, there, there was yeah, turkeys other places. There was it was down to nineteen states. But I they feel, had some number, some some unknown number, and maybe it's not specific. It's, I don't know if it's known for sure, but somewhere around that many states. Yeah, and most we got of those turkeys states in thirty are, more states now. Most of those states are probably southeast, and I feel like that's where you most commonly hear that. Yeah, we have the hardest, toughest turkeys. Is like from, uh, you know from here in southeast. <laughs> but I'm buying it, Isn't man. that right? Yeah. Because they couldn't have been that tough in Michigan because they got them all. <laughs> it's like they got them all. And then, yeah, I'll buy that. The toughest turkey, because they got the home field advantage. Knowing, they just been here. They know it. And you know? it's rugged, remote, rural country. A lot of it's hard to get into. I mean, it's hard to shoot them from the roads <laughs> in some of these places. You got to get way back in there, and, and they found little pockets where they could hold out. Yeah. How many? Did you answer me how many states you hunted turkeys in? Half dozen or so. Montana, South Dakota, New York, Indiana, Missouri, Texas. Okay. So you've gotten around a fair bit. Yeah. And then, uh, Park, you've hunted them in, in a boatload of places. I have. And your old man hunts them hard he does he does he's actually got my mom into hunting them hard so (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know how it happened but all of a sudden she's uh she's chasing them man she she started she she has she is she has the disease you know she can call better than me and the whole thing yeah she's into it and they start in florida yeah start in florida and then what time of year you hunt them in florida you know, Florida ends in February, you know. South Florida, the, the season comes in. So, they'll so they go start breeding and nesting in February, yeah, late February. Yeah, for sure. And they just migrate northward. Yep, yep. North and west, yeah. So they'll wind up where by the end of the year? Down in Mexico or what? Last year, yeah, Dad ended up in Mexico. Um, this year, I don't know what the plan is. I know they're, they're in Texas or they've already been. I don't know. He's got several turkeys under his, under his belt. And I get the, get the picture starting in February. You know, we're still snow here and, and Dad's already, you know, knocking back to spring turkey. So getting after Yeah. Him. Now, when we showed up here the other day. It was, it's kind of like amazing the, the difference 
from the conditions. I mean, I was full on pulling my fingers in, making fists inside my gloves. Parker got snowed out opening day. Yeah, in the northern part of the state. We had an inch of snow and 25-mile-per-hour winds, and, you know, as the the snow pellets were hitting me in the face, I was questioning my sanity. But, you know, after waiting for a, for a year, man, you can't miss it. And now it's 81 degrees. We were stoking the wood stove on Monday, and now we need the air conditioner plugged in on Wednesday. Yeah, we got down here to, to what you say, south-central Missouri Yeah, in the Ozarks. That's right. And got down here, and it looked like, man, when we showed up here to hunt, it looked like uh, I was not feeling optimistic. It looked like just winter time, and it did. Like, the trees aren't budded out. Yeah, it's been a it's been a just a, a, abnormally long winter here. Our youth season, um, typically, we see a harvest of about four thousand birds, and this year we only had seventeen hundred. It was nineteen degrees on opening morning of youth season. I had my my daughter out dressed up, you know, like it was a November deer hunt. So it was it was pretty horrible conditions, and that held on until opening day. And the weather really broke yesterday, and that really like cut heavy duty into the. We did. That's kind of nice testament to what the weather can do to you when you're turkey hunting. We hunted a, a property that's just a private piece of ground that's overloaded with turkeys, and we heard one gobble each day. We had five youth hunters on the property, and nobody killed a bird. And I would have bet going into it. Four out of five, if not five out of five. Yeah. They just weren't moving. They were all flocked up still in their winter flocks, and it was just horrible conditions. Yeah, and we showed up here the other night. It was so cold, and I'm sleeping in a sleeping bag. I'm used to sleeping in mummy bags, sleeping in the old schooler open top. What do they call those things? Those are butler bags. No relation. But, you know, I mean, like the type of bag. Does it even have a name? It's like classic sleeping bag, like a rectangular sleeping bag. Yeah, I don't know. Then no matter how thick it is, you can still feel the breeze coming into the top of the thing. I know people complain about mummy bags, but a mummy bag is like a genius invention. You could, you could fit. I'm not the dog. I don't want a dog too heavy on your sleeping bags. I like them. <laughs> I've been sleeping great, but you could stuff. You could fit ten zero degree mummy bags in that sleeping bag. Yeah, man, but when you're in a mummy bag, your shoulders are all constricted. I get it for backpacking in or something. It's like I'm snuggling with my wife, man. It's like I'm spooning with my wife inside my mummy bag. But you're not. It's a sleeping bag. But the bag makes me feel like I am, and so I sleep better. I just like those kind of bags. and Yeah, and I was like taking a breeze in through the top of my bag. If you come back, I will have a mummy bag on you. No, no, I like that one. I just hadn't slept in one of those for so long, I kind of forgot and wasn't aware that people were still manufacturing them. But I understand it. But just to point out how un-turkey-like it was when we showed up here, because when I hunt turkeys, I want to see, I'm expecting to come up on little water holes and see little tadpoles in them, the world coming to life. Yeah, that's part of the the majesty of spring turkey season is you're there for the awakening of all things, trees and bushes. Everything's budding out, birds are building nests, the whole, it's like insects are coming up alive. I think that made the hunting harder, too, the fact that the woods are still so wide open. I mean, Parker and I were in a situation this morning where we just had nowhere to hide. Yep. Well, don't get ahead of ourselves too much. Can we get a quick introduction of everybody? I suppose. You want to introduce yourself? We don't have to, but, you know. My dad really, really appreciates it it when we do that for him. I was going to get to it, but since it's important to you to do it now, as though dealing cards... We will start with me, 
and and move this this away. Are you the dealer? I'm the dealer. Well, then we wouldn't start with you if if we're doing it as we're dealing cards. That's a good point. You'd be shot immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, I'm Brandon Butler, the executive director of the Conservation Federation of Missouri. I'm Steve Jones. I'm a board member of the Conservation Federation of Missouri, and oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, and oh. uh, and also I you guys are always talking business. Yep, I yep. knew you were involved, but I didn't know you were a board member. And uh, also a board member of uh, Missouri Hunters for Fair Chase, an organization that's working on chronic wasting disease topics. Gotcha. Can you guys real quick spell out, as long as we're doing the intro stuff, um, can you real quick spell out what the uh, Federation does? Yeah, we're Missouri's largest nonprofit conservation organization. Uh, we really work on education, advocacy, and through partnerships. We have 92 affiliated organizations. We're the group that can bring together hunters and anglers with bird watchers and parks enthusiasts we kind of we bring everybody together to to focus on natural resource policy um, a couple big issues that we deal with here in Missouri is we have a unique uh, constitutional authority for our department of conservation and we work to advocate on behalf of that and the dedicated funding that we have through a few sales taxes and then any other fringe issues that come up like chronic wasting disease is a big one for us in the last couple of years but Really, those those kind of key issues of constitutional authority and dedicated funding for the Department of Conservation. Yeah, I want you know. Let's just let's let's talk about this real quick right now because we spend a ton of time talking about how wildlife work is funded in the U.S. and we're always pointing out that most fish and game agencies draw the bulk of their funding from excise taxes on guns and ammunition and other sporting goods equipment and sales of licenses tags and stamps so basically hunters and anglers fund wildlife conservation at the state level but missouri went in and put in a we have a dedicated little little itty bitty teeny sales tax like a what of a penny it's one eighth of a cent and it adds up to the tune of what 120 million a year that's pretty incredible it really is um and people voted this in yeah yeah, 1976. We also have a secondary sales tax that supports park, soil, and water. And people have to re-vote on that every 10 years. And in Missouri, in the 2016 election, the November election, when we saw our country so divided, we passed that vote to self-impose a sales tax, a one-tenth of a cent sales tax, with 80.1% of the vote, and we passed it in 114 out of 114 counties. So we got 80.1% of Missourians to agree to self-tax themselves to fund our state parks, healthy soil, and clean water. And the other, so we know that 20% of people in Missouri hate Mother Nature. Yeah. <laughs> That's not bad. It's pretty, I'll, it take, worse. I'll take 80%. <laughs> so there's that. Now, uh, Yanni, you want to introduce yourself? The Eagle. Yannis Patelis, the Eagle. <laughs> and then um, also the producer. And then uh, Parker. Parker Hall. I'm a wildlife biologist with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Well, so you're coming at this profet- You're coming at this with your no, professional I'm saying, credentials. I'm coming at you today as a lonely, defeated Missouri <laughs> Ozark turkey hunter. Okay, so that that's your angle. That's my angle. Not speaking as a professional. No. Just a loser. Defeat. <laughs> speaking as a loser who's had close calls. Defeat. So we get down here to do this, and it's like, and I remember that right when we met up, Brandon, I said, you hear any gobbles? 
And you didn't really answer, but you were just like, man. <laughs> I was nervous. I mean, I'll be honest. You guys came a long way to hunt turkeys. It's not like you were going on some, you know, major expedition. So you traveling all the way down here to hunt turkeys. I, I wanted to make sure you had a good hunt. And the kind of hunt that I think you guys enjoy, a, a backcountry hunt, and, and show you that even in the eastern you know, or midwestern part of the country we can find places really rural and remote and and get miles back in there but if you can hear them gobbling it's not like you can set up on an ag field and glass for them there's you know you got to be able to hear them gobbling in these hills to be able to locate them and go after them and they were not talking on monday no it had everything going against it where a stiff wind so like very cold a stiff wind and just like that kind of winteriness, man. Like no leaves on the trees, extremely noisy to walk around. It was different than any season I've ever seen before. And like the turkeys are going to spot you from a thousand miles away. And you can't, you can't sneak up on them because the leaves are so damn noisy and it's so windy. But then there's no cover. Like, it, like leaves make it like leaves on the trees make that you can kind of move around a little bit without every turkey in the world knowing you're there. But here, man, it's like, one, they're going to know you're coming because it's so loud. And two, they're going to know you're coming because there's no leaves. Yeah, we're hunting just big oak forests. There's not a lot of undergrowth at any time of year. But usually there is at least some some foliage on the saplings. And, and like you said, you can blend into that. But, yeah, it's wide open right now. Yeah, when we left here, well, first we had to deal with a, a, a stray pit bull. <laughs> yeah. We had, an, we had a dog, a, a stray dog try to accompany us and dealt with that. And then we got out and went up on a big ridge. And the plan was just to, to go up and listen and make racket because when you, like, like in the spring, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find a male turkey, which you call a tom or call a gobbler. You're trying to find a male turkey and make and, and coax it in with the sounds of a female turkey. And you're sort of trying to subvert what normally goes on as well as generally understood. Is it generally a tom or a gobbler goes out and gobbles, gobble, 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 and hens come to him. What you're trying to do is switch that around and, and somehow entice him into coming to you, and there's a ton of reasons he doesn't want to do this. The first step in this spring hunting is just to find a gobbler, and you generally find a gobbler by hearing his gobble, and there are things you can do to make him gobble. Um commonly before it gets light out you do a thing just called they call it shock gobbling no one knows parker do you have a no idea no one knows why but for whatever reason it's a real vulnerability to the species for whatever reason in the spring of the year and other times of year too gobblers gobble at loud sudden noises i have heard gobblers gobble to you guys can add when i get done or we'll start let's do it like this i will start as the dealer i'll risk that being shot <laughs> i will name a thing that i've heard a gobbler gobble to and we'll just go around the room until we've exhausted when you when you when you tap when you gotta <laughs> tap out tap out car horns when you shoot their buddy <laughs> thunder yeah car doors rumble strips on the side of the road no yes 
Donna, Donna. Really? That's good. Um, just simply going, hey, real loud the woods. Who dolls? Crows. Jake Breaks. Woodpeckers. A sonic boom. Mm, dogs barking. No one did that yet? No. Nope. Hawk screaming. Goose. Really? Honking. Yep. Train horns. Red tail hawk. The sound that they that people who don't know better dub over bald eagles. Yeah. Like when you're watching something and there's a bald eagle and they play a noise, that's a red tail hawk. Yeah. So yeah, red tail hawk. And I could tell you that I could I could take you right now and show you the tree I was under when it happened. A four-wheeler backfiring. <laughs> <laughs> Coyote howling. Yeah. That's a good oh, one. yeah. Um I might be running out, man. Man. Any loud noise works. But yeah, I'm, t- I'm tapping out. <laughs> Do you got more? I'm tapping. A rumble strip. Rumble strips, yeah. So stuff like that. Uh, make, and I've said this before on this show, that uh, I remember some t- Will Primos, the, the great call maker Will Primos, was trying to put his finger on why gobblers gobble to noises, and he was he said something to the effect of, it's just him saying, this is my time of the year. But I've heard him do it other times of the year too. So if you're trying to hunt turkeys and you go out in the dark in the morning, you go out and just start raising a ruckus uh, to try to get one to gobble. And people bring, I think, like a little bit too much thought to it. Because we use, uh, you know, I didn't add, I've used predator calls. So I just take a rabbit squealer predator call and just give it the most loud, heinous, sudden squeal that I can out of there because it really carries. But some people would say, oh, yeah, but he'll never come in that direction because he thinks that something's killing a rabbit over there. So people generally try to shot gobble by making more benign sounds, such as crows. My buddy Eric always used a peacock call for some reason which he felt uh, didn't send any message to the turkey because he's never heard a peacock before. Um, <laughs> my preferred one is a crow call. Would you guys agree with that? That like uh, It's bad to be yapping on a coyote howler and then trying to call a turkey in that direction? why would a turkey go to where a coyote was? I think you're giving them too much credit. They have. I'm a, not doing that. They have. See, a, there are those who believe they have amazing uh, instincts and self-preservation and senses, but uh, I don't think I can credit them with that much smarts. But it just makes sense to use a sound that you know they're used to hearing, like a crow or like a hoot owl. Uh, you yeah, know, but when you're up, like the like not the first morning was dead quiet because it was so windy. But when you're up there, there's all manner of. There's all manner of uh, owls going off up there, and they're not getting gobbles. Well, they do get gobbles when the birds are gobbling. Yeah, they really do. But then I take my crow, and I do I do a thing called that I a call that I just yesterday decided to dub the Corvid, because I take a crow call and blow it with the cadence of a pissed off blue jay, and I get. I mean, Yanni can attest. Yeah, I am. I am a very effective getter. <laughs> of shot gobbles better than I am of calling turkeys. Like I'm kind of, I, I specialize in getting them to, <laughs> I specialize in getting them to shot gobble. 
by just making a un- very unusual sound. It's so grating that Giannis will always want to ask for time to get away from me before I do it. <laughs> that kind of noise. It worked yesterday. It just gets him to gobble. Yeah. So we go up in the squealing-ass wind to go do this, and nothing happens. Yeah. I'm talking about the first morning. Run off the pit bull, go up the hill, nothing. You made a joke that it was like Rachel Carlson's silent spring. Like the silent (laughs) spring happened. Yeah. It, It was... It was depressing. You know, I've been planning this for a few months with you, and I'm thinking... You know, we'll go up to this spot where I always hear birds gobble from and we'll deploy in teams and you guys will go after this bird goblin. We'll go after this bird goblin. And there was nothing. I had nothing. So we went. Yeah, I was even thinking bad thoughts about you. I was like, this guy don't know turks. This is the most godforsaken ridge I've ever been on. Yeah, we walked a long way and you and I never heard a bird gobble that whole day. No, you can hunt till one for turkeys. You guys, you guys don't got to quit hunting deer in the middle of the day, right? No, it's just a turkey thing. Yeah, spring turkeys. And and there's a there's a group of us. In fact, the federation passed a resolution to in favor of extending it to all day. We've talked to the biologist. We see no scientific data, no scientific reason not to let it go all day. The fact of the matter is, is it's a it's a divided issue between really the old timers and, and the new turkey hunters. And what's the reasoning behind it? Well, I, I really don't know. Scientifically, yeah, scientifically, there's no reasoning behind it. Well, in the early days uh, of wild turkey research, the theory was of the biologists that the birds needed a break to make sure they could get to the roost that they wanted to without being disturbed and that they needed that that quiet time to be more successful at mating. Yep. And, and it was a, you know, a logical idea. It just turned out to not be true. But by then, it was already an established tradition. Yeah. So. I could see that. I, I mean, the part about, I mean, I kind of understand the roost part. But I don't think that these birds have, like here, I don't think they have, like, a lot of roost fidelity. I think they pretty freely move around, roost wherever the hell they want to roost. Well, one thing I don't like about it, I mean, not just for me personally and people that like the turkey hunt, but, you know, kids in school. You know, you get out of school at 3 o'clock in the afternoon a lot of a lot of guys want to go turkey hunting. Do an evening turkey hunt. And they can't. So it, it really hinders uh getting youths out turkey hunting. Yeah. Well, how was I even talking about why we had to, oh, because you know, yeah, you can't say I hunted all day. Yeah, we hunted till one. You can hunt till one. All day hunt. in Missouri turkey terms. Yeah, in Missouri turkey terms, hunt all day. But meanwhile, meanwhile, Yanni was having an entirely different experience. Yes. <laughs> Much different. From probably most folks in Missouri that morning. I don't know. There's probably a few other folks that got, got what I got, but uh, maybe in some corner of the state where it was a little bit warmer and the wind wasn't blowing. But, uh, yeah. You want me to tell my turkey story? Please. Um, we, we all we took four-wheelers up to the spot and stopped, and then... Brandon is like, all right, we can go here or here. He's giving us all the options. And uh, Steve and I have never set foot there. So I'm like, you make the call. So you guys decided to go on down the ridge, and you had kind of pointed me towards two different ridges that, that I should work and, and be listening off of. So I went down one and quickly ran into some private property. And so I decided I didn't want to be futzing around the edge 
all morning. So I just turned around. Yeah, because there's like tens of thousands of acres of. Yeah, I could just go the other, the other direction and walk for miles. Yeah. Which is how I like it usually. And uh, yeah, so I, I literally just went over one ridge and started walking down a, a uh, what you described as a knife ridge you know it's at, at times steve was actually commenting we were back on it today and how it's almost like man-made feeling because it's so steep on either side it's almost perfectly like perfect flat ridge. on top it's pretty amazing it's like the romans made a ridge did you come up with a real name for it yet i call it the hourglass the hourglass <laughs> when you look at a topple map it looks like hourglass but now i'm gonna start calling it the levee the levee it's like a man-made ridge like super steep pitch and then someone came in and graded off the top yeah, you wouldn't want to walk down it drunk at night. You fall off that thing. It's a long way to the bottom. <laughs> well, I know, but it's like it almost has like a, it's like you're walking on a levee. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to dig in there. I bet it's, it's all people don't realize, but it's like this, uh, it's like this uh, archaeological wonder of the world that people didn't realize. But anyhow. The Mayans used to be up here. <laughs> Turkey hunting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't get but 100 yards down that ridge, and in the wind, I can just hear what might sound like a gobbler. And so I go a little can bit Can you farther. touch on that feeling for a minute? Like, people might be thinking, wondering, what do you mean it might be a gobbler? Oh. It's, uh, yeah, you just, the, the sound is, is, because that's all you're trying, at that point, you're not even trying to look for a turkey. You're just trying to hear one. And so your brain is in that mode the same way it's uh, in that mode sometimes when you've been glassing for hours and you, you're like, was that a deer? Oh, no, it wasn't a deer. You know, you're just like looking through the woods all day long and you start to just make up deer sightings. Well, the same thing happens in the morning listening for gobblers. You're like, oh, what? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Could have been. And especially in the wind because, you know, there's all kinds of noise carrying. And uh, so it, basically it's just very, very faint. Yeah, there'll be like... Your, double if you're listening for gobblers it'll be that all of a sudden you'll be with a buddy and you'll both turn to each other because you so desperately want to have what you think you might have heard verified and each person has the same feeling and so in the woods you find you often like are whipping your head around to look at whoever you're with to be like did he hear that because i can't tell if i did you know and then uh usually what happens after that if they both heard it one guy points to the north, and the other guy points to the southeast. <laughs> but uh, so eventually it turns out that it is indeed a turkey goblin, and he's gobbling. As I get closer, I can hear that he's gobbling quite often, and that's probably every, I don't know, points five to ten seconds. He's, and that's what we call hammering. He's hammering. Mm. Not quite what I'd call choking. <laughs> but he was hammering. What, what do they call that in Georgia? The hammering. It's hammering. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, and, it's, well, it's but like, there's a, yeah, is there yeah, a next yeah. level? No, that's as it's, good as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> Dudes in Georgia just start shooting when that happens. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I could tell he was on the ridge across from me. I could tell he was below me in elevation. And uh, not knowing the country real well. I mean, he was on the ridge where you guys could have locked eyeballs. Like he was, like you were on opposing slope, opposing slopes that that met in the bottom. Yes. So I decided just to bail off the ridge and just take my time and work towards the sound that he's making. And uh, 
just hopefully, and, and the woods were so open that at points I could see the other ridge. I could see the ground cover on the other ridge, and I was just crossing my fingers that I wasn't going to get busted walking down this big, fairly open hillside. So I get to the bottom, and I figure sometime when I got towards the bottom, he must have flew down around 7 a.m., and um, I hadn't heard him for a, a five minutes or so and so i hooted and he answered and he hadn't moved too far maybe just down his ridge a little bit just because on a morning like that they're going to stay in the tree longer yeah possibly i mean i think he came down around seven is my guess you know i mean he could have been on the ground longer and was just and just kept Mm -hmm. gobbling now i know that he was by himself but do you guys agree that bert when it's cold and nasty they stay in the trees longer i agree sometimes they do for sure rainy Nasty days. I think they stay in the tree longer. They just don't want to get up. Yeah, sure. And you guys have both hunted out west and here. Do you guys uh, get a feeling that the these birds stay in the tree longer than say a Merriam's? I don't have extensive. I, I don't. I don't know that I could comment. To that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm the same way. I think one thing that is different than out west, though, is and we were talking about this a little bit is they don't always roost in the same areas here. You know, just because they roosted. In, in that drainage yesterday they could be you know quite a ways away and it seems mm-hmm. like out west there's uh, it's more common for them to show up in the same places so yeah I, w- I would say more common but not like fixed you know where i think that it's yeah it feels like more kind of like that there's like certain spots they like and like year in year out as long as something doesn't happen to that little local population They'll kind of like to use that spot, but when you bump them, man, it's not like they're gonna. They don't. I don't think they feel forced to come back there that night. It, it's like a bell curve. I mean, that's generally true. But I've got a farm in uh, northern Missouri, and there is one area there always. I mean, ninety-five percent of the time, there's going to be at least two gobblers roosted exactly in that same spot every night. Same tree. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're even if you're leaning on it at night. Well, I don't. I don't bump them that hard, but. Uh, but uh, that it's just a it's like a guarantee it's a guaranteed place now i don't know that i've ever seen that before other than that one location so it's it's not common but it, if they find the the thing that does everything they want you know they'll 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 have some level of faithfulness to that location gotcha and out west where they don't have many choices a lot of times you know you get we'll find a yeah in areas where there's just not a lot of trees right right yeah. all right so yanni there you are there i was so I, cr- I crossed the bottom, the, the little, it was a dry creek bed, and I climbed up maybe 10 yards or so, and uh, I'm eyeballing kind of a, a, a big, uh, must have been an oak, uh, maybe another 20 yards ahead. I'm thinking, man, it'd be a nice spot to get to, because I could just start to see kind of up on this, the, the, the ridge kind of benched out where he was. I was thinking I could just start to peek my nose up and see on the ridge if I got to there, and uh all my way up there, he gobbles once on his own. I'm like, sweet, great, you know. So like, that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. It's nice when you get a courtesy gobble. That's what I like to call those. When you don't have to ask him for it with a hoot owl or strike your call. He's just like, hey, I'm over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And uh, so I make it to that tree, and um, I think he actually hammered again. And uh, and when I when when I heard him then I was like okay I should just sit down like I don't need to go any farther. This is this is something you and I have talked about that there's like a turkey goes from being real far a turkey's gobble 
goes from being kind of like you can't really get a grasp of it. It's kind of far away in some sort of abstract sense. And then you cross like a thin, you cross like a thin plane. And all of a sudden it's like, he's right on top of you. Do you know what I mean? Like you pass into a moment when you are suddenly like in his area. It just, yeah. the gobble just sounds so different. You could be sitting there listening to a gobble and you're like, ah, I don't quite know where he is. And take like a step. And all of a sudden you'd be like, now I know exactly where he is. Mm-hmm. More. It's like they become, at some distance, they become, like you, you hear that you hear more quality to the sound than you otherwise do. Yeah, it's like at one point it's just kind of like a blur of a gobble sound and then you get just a little bit closer and all of a sudden you can hear every little uh, part of that gobble as it kind of breaks, you know? It's like something, it's like an image coming into focus. Yeah. Yeah, and then all of a sudden your your ears can triangulate and go, yeah, he's he's over there roughly 100 yards away, you know? And uh, yeah, so I sat down and... Uh, Got my head net on and uh, put a diaphragm in. And uh, I gave him, I don't know, five or seven notes, pretty soft. And I got no response. You know, I was calling behind my hand, trying to throw my call a little bit because it was a perfect spot because he had to come to about probably 60 to even see where I was. And then there was a roll between he and I. And then right behind me, I had another little, little spot. So you can imagine when he came over looking, even if he didn't see a hen, there's spots where that hen that was calling to him could have been, right? So I felt, I felt confident in this spot. And um, so he didn't answer. So I waited a little bit. And then I just upped my volume a, a little bit and just gave him three, three or four louder notes. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, like yeah. And he, uh, he, uh, he just jumped right over it. And, um, and you told me that at that point you could hear his feathers. Yeah. I could hear his feathers kind of shake a little bit as he gobbled. Um, so if, you know, at that point, yeah, I don't know, 75, 80 yards and it didn't take long, maybe a couple minutes and I could see his head coming and he came right to that edge where he was and I could see the whole body out of range and there he hung up for a little ways. But from that range, I could already see a blue and white head and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've been, I was taught that when you see a blue and white head, he, he's kind of in love and you, you kind of, you know, you're the, the, the deck is stacked in your favor at that point. Right. Much better than seeing a redhead. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. And, uh, were you hearing him? You know, he, at that point, at that point he hadn't, um, strutted yet. And I hadn't heard him, uh, drum or spit, but, uh, so he stood there for like a minute or so. It seemed like five was probably a minute. And, uh, then he just started working towards me, and that's when it started. So he went into full strut, did some drumming, spitting. He'd leave strut, take Mark, a couple you steps. A nice, you got a nice spit drum. Can you do it for us? <laughs> <laughs> I go like this. <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which is far from right, but I just like it that way. Yes. <laughs> And man, it is a sound, we've talked about this before, but it's a sound that you have to tell yourself that you're hearing it. I mean, when he's right on top of you, sure, you're like, everybody can hear it. But Your when, ears hear him better, because there's been a number of times you've heard him drumming when I can't hear him drumming. Like, it's like, a, it's a decibel or something that, yeah. that between, somehow between your age and my age goes away. 
Well, it's like those uh, sooty grouse, you know, that we chased around. And uh, I've got um, dusky grouse in my yard in Montana. And I can get five, yeah, maybe more like seven or eight feet from this dusky grouse. And I can hear him. You can see his yellow patches vibrating as he does this. You can hold your phone out and record a video and play it back at full volume, and, and the microphone on the phone cannot pick it up. It's a ghost sound. Yeah, it's crazy. People and, that film ghosts and whatnot report similar <laughs> problems. <laughs> yeah, so that's what a, a turkey, um, the drumming is. Because really at a distance, you rarely actually hear the spit, right? You more hear the... Yeah, you know, and that, and that can work That can work the other way, too. Sitting there for hours and going... Is he drumming? Do I hear him drumming? <laughs> I think I hear drumming. Which way is that? Is it behind me? Is it on top of me? It's it's super hard to course. You yes. know, it's just like it's all encompassing when it's close to you, all around you. It's 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 a neat you, sound. You, you know. feel it more than hear it. Sure. And what he's doing is taking his wings and like beating his wings on his body. And they'll go out and beat their wings on the ground and wear off their primaries. Is that the primary? Yeah, the you his yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like a turkey in the spring, he'll wear the ends off him. Yeah, it'd be a nice straight line. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save terms and conditions apply hey man after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers if you've learned anything it's that there is always a catch so when i heard that for a limited time all mint mobile wireless plans are 15 dollars a month when you purchase a three-month plan i thought well what's the catch but it turns out there isn't one Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Um, Yes, yeah, so I got the show. That's what you know. I call it, man. He, he gobbled maybe three or four times as he came in, and you know went in and out of strut. Same thing, three, four, five times, and uh, it, it wasn't very long. The whole thing happened in five minutes. I killed him at seven fifteen, so I kind of had a window once at maybe thirty-five yards, and. I, at the time, I was like very confident because I'm like, yeah, look at that blue and white head. And then as soon as he gets into some stick shit again and behind a tree, I'm like, you dumbass, you dumbass, you should have shot him, you should have shot him. Because yeah. it seems like I had seen it before. They get behind that tree and you're thinking he's going to just pop out the other side at 30. And instead, the next time he pops out, he's at 60 again. And for whatever reason, he decided to go away from you. But anyways, this time it worked just how you want. And he pops out and he came to 20 yards or so and... At that moment, I was sitting against a tree, and we were just blind calling. I was sitting there chattering my teeth against a tree. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Bouch! And I'm like, Yanni shot that pit bull. Because <laughs> there was like no other reason that I could imagine that he would be shooting his gun off. I'm like, either Yanni got shot by the guy down the landowner guy, or the pit bull attacked him, and he had to defend himself from the pit bull. And I was kind of mad. like, what sort of you know, investigation, like how does one, when you shoot a dog in self-defense, like what happens, you know? Nothing. I think in that case, you just let them lay. So we, we proceeded to wander all around. But we ended up right there. Happened to, yeah. So we made a plan to meet Yanni at 10, and we just made a big, long loop heading for that spot. Because in previous years, it's a really good spot. And uh, we ended up down there, and we had to split in time to meet him at 10 when we got up there. Was, I'll tell you, it was pretty redeeming when you had that bird. Oh, we, yeah. And oh, we were man. doing a thing called blind, like, because we're not hearing anything, and it's not, it's just so windy. Then you kind of like, all right, I'm going to give up on the whole idea that I'm going to hear a gobbler. And we would just go to likely areas, little bottoms where you're kind of out of the wind. You'd get out of the wind down to little bottoms, hollers hollows and um 
just call, give it 20 minutes. Because that can work. That can work. They come in silent a lot. Yeah, you'll lay down. It, the thing is, you got to get like real comfortable because you don't know what direction they're going to come from. And you can't be fidgeting around because you, you could be, he could be behind you and never make a noise. And you fidget around, he's going to leave and you never knew he was there. So what if I'm doing that sort of thing, I like to try to get where I'm almost like, and I don't even think it's a bad thing to fall asleep for a minute, blind calling, because you want to be that comfortable and just call every whatever, 10 minutes. Uh, last year, blind calling, I woke up. I woke up to see a turkey coming. You know, you get that kind of fitful sleep. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> big red head coming through the coming through the brush you know and he that bird came in never made a peep did so, you kill him yeah so uh yeah but that was in wisconsin last year so yeah we blind called and then really nothing happened that was the end of the day we went out that night and tried to do what's called roosting them uh which is now and then like it, it, turkey gobbling just gets generally throughout the day it just gets worse. Like in the world, calls per second just drop to where by about ten in the morning, unless it's really good, there's not many calls. Six in the morning is all kinds of calls, and it just gets like worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But in some locales, you'll have a spike at night where there's something about them going back to the roost. Do you understand this at all? From a, from a, you never, they never talked about this in school. No, I mean, I'm college. sure they, sure they did. I wasn't paying attention. Toward night <laughs> as they're going back to their roost for whatever reason, they sometimes will gobble a, some more. And then they like to, oftentimes they like to gobble once they get up in the roost. You know, a lot of times, though, the turkey will gobble, and, of course, the hens come to him like you explained before, and they'll do their thing. They'll kind of hang out and breed and knock around together. And, you know, on up in the morning, the hens will go off and kind of do their own thing. You know, they're starting to look for a place to, to nest or wanting to feed or whatever, and, and oftentimes they leave the gobbler. And so sometimes there's there's a spike or you can get them to gobble midday. Then again in the afternoon when they're starting to gather back up, the hens are kind of backing around. He's feeling his oats again. You know, you may you may get a gobble or two. And, you know, oftentimes it's a shock gobble that, that happens at, at night as opposed to them just gobbling. They do some, but you go out and, and try to shock gobble them. Um, <laughs> I think you get more responses than them just naturally gobbling, yeah. gobbling a whole lot, maybe. The hunting Miriams, which is, you know, the people don't really accept the idea of subspecies of turkeys, but like it's like varieties of turkeys, right? There's there's five, you know, let's just say so. There's five subspecies of turkeys in, in, in the U.S. Um, the, the Miriams is a very vocal one. We used to drive around sometimes hunting mirrors. We would drive around from spot to spot to spot on on logging roads or whatever and stop, turn the car off, honk the horn to find out where you're going to hunt in the morning. But we, didn't, we haven't heard, no one in our group has heard a turkey gobble past, I think, 9.15 a.m. on this trip. Going out two nights in a row spreading all out across the ridges, blowing crow calls, coyote yips, 
screech owls. What the hell kind of owl? Barred owl. Barred owl. Yeah. Not a peep. Crickets. Not even, yeah. I didn't try a cricket call, but yeah, you mean like crickets, yeah, like yeah. silence. That's all we heard, crickets. Yep. So then all of a sudden we wake up the next morning and you just knew there was going to be goblin. Yeah. Because the weather switched. We yeah, shot- we, we were brushing our teeth in the driveway and uh, heard one gobble in the distance. The wind. No wind. Yeah. Well, you hoot owled or... Uh, Call I'll call Adam, and that's what made him. Yeah, you, were you stepped out of the porch of your cabin. What do you call this thing? Driftwood Acres. But I mean, do you call it a cabin? Yeah. When that's you said I'm going to my blank, I told my wife it's a cabin. It got a little big for cabin status. So what do you say you're going to when you go here? The cabin. We say our shack. Yeah. Because my wife says it does. It's not a cabin. <laughs> that's, <laughs> called, that's, that's called a shack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yanni. Uh, had his electric toothbrush going. We had to turn that off. And then we could, because it was like you said, I thought I heard one. Turned the toothbrush off, did it again. Your toothbrush was impeding the ability to listen to gobbles? It was. That's the only good argument I've ever heard against electric toothbrushes. (laughs) (laughs) But, so to back up, we met up with Yanni, and we tried all these different spots. And I even took you down on a gravel bar. And I know you guys were thinking, there's no way. Oh, there's was that turkey. the day we cut that track? Yeah. So that was like the highlight of our day. We, we closed out our day on a track. Yes. We just were like, well, here's a track. That's right. And we just sat and called the track. I even took a picture of the track. So we'd have some semblance of a trophy from the day. But yeah, from the driveway, I hoot owled, and it went. And uh, Parker and I deployed, and there ended up being four gobblers. Probably three gobblers and a jake. And... Uh, Parker called one across the river. Talk about that for a minute. Well, I, I think it, with turkey hunting, you're either a hero or a zero. It's like you're never, there's no like mid-grade turkey guys. You know, it's not like, well, I saw, I could have shot a couple gobblers, but he wasn't nice. It was, I had a great experience, but like you try as hard as you can every time, or I do when I'm turkey hunting. So uh, we got on this turkey they were gobbling, gobbling. Cross, You're hundreds uh, of yards away. Right. Well, we slipped up on them, and we got, I don't know, across the river. Yeah, we were uh, just yeah. on the other side of the river from them. Yeah. They so were up not, on, they're up on a bluff, and we're down on the gravel bar. But they're not hundreds of yards away. A couple hundred. Okay. Yeah. Other side of the river. Other side of the river, uh, above us. Worst case scenario, if you're thinking about turkey hunting. You want to get, you know, same level or above them. Preferably the same side of the river, you know, <laughs> th- those types of things. Um, so everything working against us. I think we were just so happy to hear turkeys gobbling um, that it didn't matter, you know. We were right after them. So, um, yeah, they, they got fired up, and they were in the roost, and we, we called at them a little bit, and got one, sure enough, uh, you know, thought he wanted to play ball. And, you know, we kind of, Brandon and I kind of shut up, quit calling, and all of a sudden, man, thing zings across the the river and like lands on the gravel bar. Out of the roost tree, left his buddies yeah. behind. The arms, are, yeah, the and whole lands deal. on a gravel bar. Just right. came sailing right across, at us, man. It was beautiful. Yeah, you could see his big beard hanging, hanging down. out. I said, "Here he comes." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was like that's a, the "here he comes" that I like. Yeah, here he comes. <laughs> Coming Did you, in were like you a bomber. To take a pass shot. <laughs> no, <laughs> like hunting geese. <laughs> 
Yeah, so he sailed in, huh, Brandon? Yeah, he landed on a gravel bar. Landed yeah. on the gravel bar. It must bar. make me think that like either there's something wrong with him or it was the most masterful, beautiful bit of calling. Something's wrong with the turkey, trust yeah. me. Yeah. Because like, I just don't think of him being like, I'm going to fly out of this tree, cross the river, and land on some rocks. Yeah. He did. And yeah. then he, he's, he, he probably landed 80 to 100 yards down from us, worked right up, and there's a lot of little scrub brush down there, and we were tucked into some small cedars, and there was another one about 20 yards away, and he just took up shop right there on the other side of that cedar. So it could I mean, have been how far, 30 yards? No more than 30 yards. I would say 20. And he's just drumming and drumming and gobbling. gobbling. And it's going on for... <laughs> that's, that's a quail. <laughs> it's going on for 20 minutes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like a, it just... It was nonstop action for 20 minutes, and then it stopped. And the whole time I'm, I'm thinking, uh, 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 Brandon and I were... The, when the turkey sailed across the river, uh, I said turn and face them, turn and face them. So uh, we were set apart from each other. So we're, the way we're sitting against the trees, we're kind of facing each other, right? And so the turkey's behind me at this point, just tomahawk gobbling all of me, you know, and drum, drumming. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm looking at Brandon and I'm just, like, I'm just like, shoot him, man. You know, what are we doing here? But yeah, it was right behind the bush. But I never is, saw him that whole time. Never mm-hmm. even caught a glimpse of him that whole time. Yeah, wow. so exciting. <laughs> so then he goes silent, and then he made it to this field, which is private property that we can't hunt on. So he's got to be in the low water on the gravel bar, and uh, or in the high water area of the gravel bar. So he gets into this field, and then he starts gobbling again. And, man, it was beautiful. He's in full strut. Every time he gobbles, you can see his breath coming out. That's it, a nice detail, man. Oh, man, it was beautiful. That, if I was a painter, <clears throat> I would paint a turkey goblin with his breath coming out as steam or whatever that is. You know. So at that point, he's probably 60 yards away and 10 yards onto private. And I'm thinking he's just going to split across that field. But there's one lane like runs back down. It's like whoever that landowner is, it's their like lane to get down to the river, but it's cutting onto public land. And when he got to that lane, I said, give it to him. And Parker hit him and he turned and came. He went down this swale. Hit him with a call. Yeah, hit yeah. him with a call. And he turned and came back. And now he's back in the game. He goes down this swale. And I'm afraid that I didn't see him cut through the woods the first time. So I'm thinking he must have cut through that swale and now he's going to take that same route back to the gravel bar and end up behind that bush again. But this time he made a fatal mistake of going up on top of the lip of that swale. And that was the end of it. Blouch! Blouch. From my perspective, like I said, we were facing each other, right? Um, and so I, could, I was watching the hunt through the perspective of watching Brandon and him uh, seeing the turkey. And I, and I can see him looking... A little bit, you know, slight movements of his head and, and his eyes, and like a close up, uh, yeah, and, 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 and yeah, and he's going, he's going, he's coming, he's gonna come, and I see him, his his breath starts getting faster, you know, you know, the excitement of the turkey when he realizes he's coming, and he disappears uh, behind the swale, like he said, and you see mild panic set into his into his face <laughs> just like uh, 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 oh no oh no I don't see him now 
And soon as he comes up out of the swell he's talking about with that white head, I see his his eyes get big and then, you know, cheek down on the stock and that was it. When you uh when you when you hold because you're shooting a scope, which I've never done. I always just shoot an elevated, a bead and a, what the hell you call it? Like a vented rib. Yeah. You basically look down the damn barrel, right? But I've always been tempted with um, messing around with various apparatus. Even though I don't have, you know, I, I don't know. I don't take long shots or something because I've never, I've never whiffed a shot at one. It, but uh, when, when you're aiming at, where are you holding on him? Right at the base of his neck. There's a crosshair in there and I hold it right on the base of his neck and, you know, I I was on a media hunt in South Dakota, and one of the sponsors had those scopes, and I'd had that gun for many years, and I, you know, had to put it on there to appease the people paying for the trip. I've never taken it off in seven or eight years. It it just works for me. Um, I've got one of those red dots on my daughter's turkey gun. She likes it, but I mean, when I shot that bird, I panicked for a second because I didn't see anything. And when when I finally realized it just it never even flopped it just went down that you know normally really? when you shoot one they they flop around oh and goodness, make a bunch that. of ruckus yeah. I couldn't see it I mean it was just where to go and then I looked and there it laid kind of on the back side of that base of the neck like were you saying where those feathers start or lower than that because see I I aim where like the head and the neck join at that the mm-hmm. just below the skull. You're probably sailing some pellets over the top of his head. No, I yeah. kind of depend on how far I go away right he is. for the base of the neck about where the feathers start. That's where I put the crosshairs, and I know, you know, my I got a, a real tight choke, and at 30 yards, it's about the size of a skillet, you know. And if I put it there, I'm not going to miss high. I'm probably not going to put too many low, and it seems to work. When they're far out, I'll aim a little higher, just because of drop. But I kind of, you know, I don't know, man. I'm I hold. Because I've had a lot of guys say that, like, dudes that miss turkeys are shooting over the top of them. Because they're aiming for the head. Yeah, and they got a tight pattern. It just feels, people feel that if you were low, he'd be dead. Because you'd have got or, him in the neck. Or, or you at least would have fluffed him if yeah. you body shot him. So I kind of hold down a little ways. I remember, like, some some turkey guy saying that he holds on the waddles, which are low on the neck. So then I started kind of doing that, kind of. Isn't the waddles and where the base of his neck, that's not the same thing? Yeah, yeah, down at the where yeah. the feathers start. The feathers. Yeah. They kind of hang a little, they kind of hang like a beer belly. What about you, Yanni? Over that waistline of his feathers. Yeah, well, now that I was telling you, I put a new bead on my gun, and the bead's a little bit taller than the bead I had on there. And so if you understand how that works and you're aiming, it causes you to put the the higher bead causes you to uh if you bring that bead down it causes you to shoot a little bit lower and so um but yeah i would just aim halfway between his waddles and his head but i mean at 30 yards i don't know that if i'm really getting that precise well the one thing i just make sure of is that i can see his head over my sight yeah i don't ever cover up his head yeah i'm not doing it i'm not thinking about how when i'm trying to do shot placement shooting like a big game animal i'm not Mm. like doing that level but i am thinking when i have the thought i am thinking don't shoot over his head and i especially get nervous about it when they're super close because then you got a pattern size of a baseball and it's got to be on yeah or else he's gonna run off and i don't that's not what you're out there for but meanwhile while this whole gravel bar 
flying out miracle turkey thing is going on. <laughs> we go out. We go back up. And early, remember how Giannis was saying he didn't want to go down and flirt with this private property boundary? We get back up in that area, and sure enough, there's a bird goblin down in that zone. And we don't want to do that because then we feel he's going to pitch out of his roost, land on the other side of the painted trees, and then you just got to sit there, right? And we're going to sit there not very confident in our miracle calling abilities, if whether we be able to call him across the, <laughs> yeah, the, the line. Yeah, I hate that kind of stuff, man. I hate that kind of stuff. So we're just like, never mind that turkey. Begrudgingly, yeah, continued on down the ridge. Go down the ridge, hear another turkey, and kind of like stay a little bit like maybe, but he's very far off where it's like hard to even begin thinking about how you're going to go about it. So we're kind of like, yeah, maybe. Then go a little ways and look down into this kind of little hell hole. And then we're like, that's our turkey. There's several of them, but one of them is like, that's the turkey. So we start nosing down into the holler. Is it a cultural appropriation for me to say holler? It works. Yeah. So it's not horrible? No. Okay. Um, I like to be sensitive to that kind of stuff because I could switch to hollow. No holler. Okay, good. Uh, we've been calling them creek beds. <laughs> <laughs> or a draw. <laughs> Work our way down. I'm going to go back to it. Work our way down toward the creek bed. And pretty soon we get where we enter into that. We cross that plane where all of a sudden you're like in a zone. And we get set and up. And I'm thinking, damn it, we got too close. Yeah. Get set up and call and call up a hen who comes up just basically bitching at us. Like yeah, they I don't get, get kind of mad semen. It does seem like that. I hope one of you guys can enlighten me. But yeah, she just comes in there. I thought it was like a it was like a happy putt, but now I'm thinking it's just she's just clucking. But she, I guess she's just clucking and looking and trying to make that connection. But they got right? a thing they do. They got a thing they do where and, and it varies. But like when you're calling a gobbler, like he's kind of coming at a hen will come up and kind of cut these half circles around you, it, far out. Like she, you know. Where they don't they don't come barreling in. They're mm-hmm. very like, what's going on? What's going on? They tend to be like very vocal. We had the same thing this morning. Yep. But I don't think we ever saw the whole body of that hen. She got to where she could look up on the or the bench that we had set up on, little bench ridge, and looked at looked, 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 walked back and forth a little bit, and we could see her head and neck, and then she just went back over the the you know, swale a little bit. And shut up. Yeah. Start to the feeding. point. To the point. Yeah. So she she's all pissed and goes and dips off the side of the hill. I should point out you can only shoot bearded. You're supposed to shoot males, but the way they define it is you know a bearded turkey because they have a weird beard feather coming out of their chest. Uh, she goes off and we kind of forget about her. And a while later we realize that the gobbler we were calling to had drifted off in the other direction as they're wont to do. And we stand up to go chase them, and she takes off flying from that same spot. So she was all pissed. Went back out of sight and then just decided to mellow out and hang out. Chase, we chase that gobbler and kind of set up on him, chase him, set up on him. And then you hear off to the right, we hear a hen calling that ain't a hen. 
off to the left, I hear owl hooting. That ain't owl. It's getting a little late in the morning. So for like, there's other people are getting, other people are growing aware of our holler. Right? Like people are like, there's a holler that has a lot of goblin emanating from it. And people are zero. Other dudes are zero. This is like public land hunting, man. Other dudes are zeroing in on this thing. Yanni, I didn't hear this, but Yanni hears two car doors and he thinks that those guys left. Yeah, I felt like the dudes on our left took off. But the right, as we're working this turkey, you can hear this guy on the right, yep, 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 like coming down. And the closest we get to the gobbler post roost, we get close, we're down in the bottom, it looks beautiful. Put out a decoy, he hammers, like probably the closest gobble we got. I'm very excited. And then he gobbles again and he's same spot. I'm ex- more excited. Then he gobbles again and you just get that sinking feeling where it's just like unmistakably he's farther away now, which is like usually what happens in turkey hunting. And I think he gobbled again. It's like, damn it. That was farther away for sure. And then, bouch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not very far away. No, I think I heard the turkey flop. It was that close. You know, about jumped out of my skin. And that dude that coming on from the right just out turkey hunted us. Mm-hmm. Out hunted us. Wasn't his first trip to the holler. <laughs> yeah, he might. Yeah, he might have been in there knowing that those turkeys like to leave there going up that branch or whatever. Yeah. And then we wandered all over Holy Hell, and then pretty soon it was 1 o'clock, and we came home. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, we did a tour. <laughs> Parker and I regroup after bringing my bird back to the cabin, and we hear one goblin in the same holler where Yanni killed his bird. Then we go up to the, we go up to the meeting spot or the calling location, and we thought you guys had deployed down after that bird. I like so how you use that term, deployed. We stayed out of there. Instead of like wandered over. Yeah. yeah. Made his way over. We were on a mission. <laughs> so we deployed down into that holler. <laughs> deployed into the holler. <laughs> he tells me when to uh, deploy. <laughs> but no, I, what a difference a day makes. All of my spots redeemed themselves. Yeah. All the ridges I said would have birds on them had birds on them. And yep. All the hollers had birds. Even killed one off the gravel bar. So it's unbelievable how they turned on overnight. Yeah, because, like, in that, like, they're going to breed. And, like, in understanding all these cycles in the natural world, like fish spawning and all that, there's sort of like a photo, there'll be a photo period window, right? There's, like, a length of day that is appropriate. And that window, depending on what thing we're talking about, what natural phenomenon we're talking about, um, that photo period window, that length of day window could be, wide or skinny but within that there's all the other all the variables which kind of turn it on and turn it off right like you think like steelhead are going to spawn um it's going to happen like never happens before this date never happens later than that date but within that window of time there's myriad things that need to occur water level water (laughs) temperature all this kind of stuff and it's going to happen they're going to pick their moments and it's like funny with these turkeys that on Monday, seems to be, well, except for Yanni's, it just seems to be they're not doing that today. The next day, that slight change, warmer, no air, and they're just back to it. And I think yesterday was better than today. 
even though the conditions today were almost the same as yesterday. It's like they were just shocked into getting going, and today they settled back down a little bit. They gobbled early, but they stopped earlier today too. So then yesterday, did you guys work more birds? We definitely went for a long walk. We we had several minor setbacks yesterday, to say the least. I don't know if we ever worked a bird. We chased a couple others. I don't know that. I don't know if we ever worked another yeah, one. Yeah, I define working a bird where you're in the game. We we never got yeah. back in the game. Yeah, yeah. an That's amazing thing. Find. Amazing <laughs> yeah. thing that happened yesterday, though, is we jumped a covey of a quail. Yeah, on the public land way in the back. And that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Not in the old days. In the old days, that's what people did. Down, I mean, we have so much work going on on quail restoration, but in this part of the country, especially, I had no idea that this was the quail country. It's really not, and uh, that was but historically just, it was. Yeah. When you had more small farms, or what? I really don't know what the change has been. Over, I mean, I think you could be really rich if you figured out what the problem because i walk around out there the last thing on my mind would be that i would jump a quail if i jumped a quail it'd take me a minute to realize it was a quail because i'd be so not expecting it to I happen was really surprised we were deep in the forest it was on a power line where we jumped it so there was some brush and there was a, yeah it looked like the right spot for coming through if we were 50 or 60 miles north of here but it was cool really cool for sure how many uh quail were in the covey what do you think, Parker? Ten? Yeah, ten to twelve. Yeah, it was a nice little covey. Mm-hmm. Want me to tell you a quail story? Yeah, real quick. Let's hear. Let's hear your quail spitting drum. Many, <laughs> many years ago, um, fourteen or fifteen years ago, my girlfriend at the time was friends with someone who was a private chef on a yacht, and this friend says to my girlfriend at the time, hey, do you guys want a bag of quail? Cleaned up quail. And uh, she says, sure. She goes, you know who gave me this quail? George H.W. Bush. (laughs) The owner of the yacht is friends with George H.W. Bush, and he came out on the yacht and brought a sack of quail that he had shot. So I was like, well, that's pretty interesting. So I saved them for a long time. I think I'd save them for some kind of special occasion. When I did bust them out, not one of these quail had a, not a pellet in any of these quail. All headshot. No. Here's what someone told me. <laughs> someone told me at these high yeah. flute and quail places, they're raising them in pens anyway. And they say when you go to these high flute and quail shooting facilities, you go out and shoot quail. But then they're all shot up and the dog's been chewing on them. Who wants to eat that, right? The thinking goes. So when you leave, they just go into the pen and get you 15 nice new ones that aren't molested by shot. And that's what you bring home. Hmm. That I, I have no, I had never backed <laughs> up or verified any of this, but this is just what was told to me. Do you know who Ray Scott is, the Bassmaster? No. Remember when... Uh, bass fishing tournament started. You know who Ray Scott is, no, man, Parker. We're from uh, Michigan. You ever heard of Kevin Van Dam? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's in our next match. He's actually in our next match. Parker, you got to know who Ray Scott is, yeah. the Bassmaster. What state's he out of? Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, he started, he basically started professional bass fishing tournaments. But okay. I went down and stayed with him one time, and I got to my room, and it had a plaque on the bed that said, 
President George H.W. Bush slept here. Is that right? So that's my George Bush story. He don't eat a lot of those bass, I'm guessing. I don't think so. We had a buddy who's a bass, he's a recreation, what do you call it, like amateur tournament bass guy? Caught Lord knows how many bass in his life. One day I'm talking to him. <laughs> in his whole life, <laughs> he'd never eaten. A, we served him his first bass ever. Huh. A tournament fisherman served him his first bass ever. He liked it, did not want his wife to find out about it. Because she'd be wondering what in the world he'd been out there doing all this time. We have to <laughs> if she knew that a smallmouth sandwich tasted that good. <laughs> we have to call bass out of our pond. If you don't take so many little ones out, the big they, they get stunted. Yeah. Don't grow. So because the pond's only going to support so many ounces of fish, and it's going to take the form of large or big. So we we a lot of largemouth bass. So back to turkey hunt. That's my story about H. W. Bush. Uh, someday I'm gonna work up. Uh, I'm gonna, I'd like to work up a real good punchline for it, which might take some time. But uh, so you guys wrap her up one o'clock. Done deal. Mm-hmm. This morning, step out on the porch. Presumably, the eagle was not brushing <laughs> because. Yeah, I took Jones out on the on the porch this time. He's a. He's a world champion hoot owl collar. That wasn't impressive. Would you mind ripping out your owl hoot? Sure. I won't make this thing melt if I do it. Well, I think no. he might do is maybe we'll, what do yeah, you think? Just, yeah. just just take your mic away from your face. Yeah, perfect. Yep. Rip out an owl hoot. Oh my goodness. The end. How'd you work that out? Practice. Can you just do the end for me again? Yeah, that's nice, man. So, it's like you swaddled an owl. <laughs> um, so I put him to work in the on the porch this morning, and I was hoping that those other three would be back, and at least two of them were, and he got them fired up from the porch, and this time Parker and I got on the right side of the river, and I'll let him take it from there. We got on the right side of the river, slipped in. They're still on the roost. Um. Right as in right versus wrong, not left and right. No, he's got it right both ways. He means right proper, but he was on river right. Both. Got it. You know, like just a quick thing for the listeners. River, when you say river right, river left, it's from the perspective of someone looking downstream. So you could be facing upstream, and when you say river right, it's on your left. Correct. Like you're floating down the stream. Yeah. Yeah. So right. river right, the, the correct side, which happened to be. That used to have to be part of my safety speech every day. When you're fishing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, the proper side of the river, which happened to be river right. Correct. We slept up under the cover of darkness, um, selected two trees, tried to get uh, a tree that's wider than my back to break up my. Is that something you think about? See? I do. I do think about that um, a lot. I know some fellas that have a hard time finding a tree. Yeah. Unless they're on the redwoods. On the redwoods. We found one today. Um, well, I found one. Brandon's was, uh, I'll get to that later. His was a little, little skinnier than we liked it. He blames me. I blame him for this, what happened. I blame the turkey. Yeah. 
at any rate, they're gobbling, gobbling nice. And, you know, they, they're gobbling so much that I'm, I'm trying to pick them out of the tree. We're, we're within 100 yards, I think. And, you know, I'm looking, looking. I can hear him. He's gobbling, 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 gobbling. And, you know, we're calling just a little bit back to him, um, some soft yelps. And at any rate, we, we kind of put the call down, and then we're at a standoff, you know. He's wanting to gobble, and I'm not saying anything. Well, then I see him pitch out when he pitches out to me. And it's the same thing. Again. Yeah, yeah right to us, right? So uh, same <laughs> thing just... Giannis was talking about <laughs> yesterday. Two little little swells, right? So he pitches down behind these two swells over, which is maybe, maybe 70, 80 yards. And gobbling, drumming, spitting, the whole thing. <laughs> 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 This turkey was going, <laughs> and I had my my gun on my knee, and I hear the turkey, and every once in a while I can see the tips of his of his tail fan, you oh, know, just over the top. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it's a done deal. I'm thinking about coming back and get some of Mister Steve's coffee. The turkey <laughs> comes in, kind of follows his finger down. Right, I can just see glimpses and pieces of him. He turns around the swell. And I say, well, if he gets around that and comes, starts breaking towards me, it's over. I got him. He's committed. He did that. He broke around, took about 10 steps. And at this point, he's maybe 55 or 60 yards coming on a, on a string. Turn sideways. I see his head is blue. How many yards are you waiting for? Inside 40. I like to shoot him closer than further. Um, I know some of the new loads these days, but, you know, when I started turkey hunting, it was the, the 20 gauge with the two and three quarter inch six, you know, so we let them come on in. So yeah. I like them inside 40. I really do. It was too far for me. Some guys, yeah, maybe I don't, I don't I, take Hail Marys of turkeys. No, I don't, I don't like to cripple turkeys um, or anything, but turkeys, I couldn't, I like them to get close. So the turkey's coming. He turns sideways. His head's just a bright white. He kind of comes out of strut, sticks his head. Straight up in the air, all the color leaves his head. He turns around and fast walks away. No doubt. His head went back to red. In my mind, he saw us. He walked around the corner, he saw us, and he split. And that was that. I think he said, man, I'm going to check by that big tree. No, no, dude. He saw Brandon back there moving around, I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) I was in the almost asleep mode. I was not moving around. Yeah. So that was it. That was it for me today. And then I um, wanted all over Holy. Wanted all over Holy. Oh yeah. And the wind picked up today, which was a little more frustrating. It did. Yeah. That was annoying me, man. Yep. Yep. That was annoying. Yeah, it kind of makes it harder to keep going at that eleven o'clock hour when, like, you could almost barely hear him if he was gobbling at one hundred and fifty sure. yards. You know. Yeah. So here you are, turkeyless. Turkeyless. I You've am. Come to the end of your saga. It's over. It's over. Uh. We got out. The turkey in the one spot was not there. In the pro, in the borderland, the border turkey mm-hmm. was not there. Went down to the to the Roman, the hourglass, the Roman ridge. Descended the Roman ridge, and we'd already picked up a gobble by this point. No, we had to descend quite a ways. Until finally, and I don't think we shocked him. We were, we were kind of walking and had just maybe stopped, and all of a sudden we heard a, a, a double gobble. 
two birds, yeah, two birds gobbling mm. over the top of each other. So one had started his gobbling before he could finish his gobble, his buddy gobble over him, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And then people like to talk about a double gobble, which is different. Double gobble is just a turkey that goes gobble, 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 gobble. But these guys were gobbling over. When you go to Doug Duran's farm on a good day, you'll get the whole ridge mm-hmm. where it's like someone running their fingers down the piano. But on the whole damn ridge, a bird on one end of the ridge will gobble, and it just the gobbles just travel down the ridge. That's fun. Uh, we weren't in that kind of situation. And set up, and right away, repeat from yesterday, called up a hen, come up making all manner of noises. Um, Did she yelp? Yep, yep, I yep. don't think she actually ever yelped. The second, the second one did a little was bit. Was doing a kiki. Yep. Wee wee. Wee wee. But that's not a kiki. Is that a French kiki? Yes. Wee wee. Do you have a name for that when you wee, wee. when they just she do? Were, she no, were, the, the she kiki is like kiki wee, kiki wee. But she's doing like a wee wee. Make well, she, a kiki she was purring, right? Was it not a, a purr? Sound. She purred. Yeah, but that's not. The, that's not. But that's not what I'm talking no. about. Kiki. She was like doing it. this. Yanni, am I not? Am I right or wrong? Yeah, you're right. She she purred. <laughs> not that. If I have my call, I do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. She. But not. That's too much. Like a pigeon. That's like a <laughs> yeah, it's pigeon. just a content clucking purring noise. She, I know what you're okay, talking about. She cut. She 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 cut. Lots of cuts. Clucked. Didn't yell. Did not she cl- she cut the prim- chuck, chuck, chuck. she did she that's not a cut the primos boys call. the primos boys call that sound that we heard oh they call it woo woo because it's just like she's going oh that's what they call that yeah but it's like because the kiki is like kiwi wee kiwi wee someone do a hurting noise the, I'm doing the kiki the kiki is like a a louder longer. <laughs> kind of noise it's like a hurt it's like a hurting noise they'll make to their pults yeah looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life aura frames are beautiful wi-fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos these things are super cool as a gift especially if you got mom aunt grandma whoever and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to okay it's easy to upload and share photos via the aura app and if you're giving an aura as a gift you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of oprah's favorite things aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages you can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save terms and conditions apply i want to tell you about an american-made success story and black buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches black buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use black buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip 
but they understand the convenience and discretion modern day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. So she clucked, cut, purred, and hoo-hooed. Woo-hooed. <laughs> and a wee-weed. Which I think it is, is, is it's all in that same content. Yeah, content. I mean, here's yeah. the interesting part about it. Here's the interesting part about it. There, I, like, there's, a, there's, there's the way turkeys sound. Mm-hmm. Sometimes oftentimes you'll hear you'll see a real turkey doing a sequence of notes over a period of time that no turkey caller that i hang out with replicates no if i sat down in the woods with a guy and clucked as many times as she did in a row six minutes he sat there just making racket like just piling on noise upon noise nonstop. I would be, after a while, I'd be like, hit them on the shoulder. But here's a real live turkey mm-hmm. just going to town. Not only just going to town, she's just tromping through the woods, too. Walking and calling at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Cutting like a big arc. 
just raising holy hell. And then not long after, there was those hens we couldn't see in the bottom, just raising hell. It's like if you wanted to really sound like turkeys, you get six, seven guys just to go sit out in the woods and start just doing crazy stuff with turkey calls. It's kind of what it sounds like down there. I mean, but the difference is they're doing all that and it makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. If you sit down and start making like sequences of strange sounds, Lord knows what message you're sending. I think that that's part of being like a little bit judicious is because um, they're feeling something that might not match up with what you're laying down. Like they're in kind of a little fight, right? Or whatever. And it just means it makes sense to them that they're doing, you don't know why they're doing it. But then uh, try to work our way down, spook a couple turkeys. Here's a weird thing. I think Yanni knows where they are and I think they're farther away. And we're arguing about this on and off. And eventually it proves that Yanni was correct because here they jump, they spook and fly off, which is a bad sign. I, (laughs) it's a real bad sign. We thought it was the end of our morning hunt. Yeah. And I do a kind of like a a very, it's kind of like having like three scoops of ice cream and all three of them just falling off your cone in the the dirt, man. Yeah. (laughs) And I do kind of a physical expression of, you know, like it was like, yeah, you were a little paler than you were. It was like, you're like that bird that uh, Parker was working. Yeah. Yeah. You had a bunch of color head, in your head. And went, my head went from blue to red. <laughs> so it was just like, duh, right? <laughs> and for whatever reason, Yanni just does like a check. Like, I don't know. Dude, we do an elk hunt all the time. Because especially the bull might have just been over the ridge. You spook half of his cows. He just hears hooves running. And so all of a sudden you go, yeah. And give him the super sexy and like thrash around like someone else is chasing one of his cows and that some bitch <laughs> you know really? and yeah, oh yeah. yeah then he's just like coming to see what all the fuss is about and because, he, yeah because there's a thing in animals man there's like some animals um hold more some animals in a group people pay attention to and some animals in a group people don't pay attention to because you could have it be that you're like putting the move on something and one will spot you and get nervous. And you'll notice the other ones don't pay any attention to that one. He just hasn't proven his value. Um, other ones, there's an animal that gets nervous and everyone gets nervous. Like when that animal gets nervous, everyone gets nervous. They did this thing with, uh, I can't remember, vervet. Is there a monkey, vervet monkeys? What is it? Vervet monkeys? I'm not sure. I wish I could remember the name of this monkey. They went into this, these researchers went into this group of monkeys and made an audio recording of one of the monkeys in a troop. They made an audio recording of his warning call and started playing all of his, war, started playing his warning call to the troop all the time and he lost his street cred. <laughs> they made it that when he made his legit warning, when he, made, when he did do his legit warning, everyone was like, whatever, never cry wolf. Yeah. He cries wolf. Lost credit. So it could be something like that. Whatever it is, Yanni all of a sudden yelps again and gobble, gobble, gobble. Yeah. Right from the same spot. On top of us. But they were agitated and edgy. Yeah. And we hit the dirt and I thought it was all over because here he comes. Kind (laughs) of. Not like the blue redhead. Yeah, not in strut. Not in strut. Redhead and a hen. Striding. 
a hen so close to him, her head's out over his tail. And he comes around this open hillside. And there's a number of things that I think might have happened. My guess is he gets where he can see and looks on this very open hillside and he says to himself, I don't care what I'm hearing. There's not a hen. That's two mugs laying in the dirt. Not a hen. (laughs) I don't think he saw us. Probably not. I don't think he saw us. I just think he looked and he's like, I didn't get to be this old by... Which is 24 months, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get to be this old by doing this. But here's the deal. Yanni screwed me out of that turkey because it was a yelp from a diaphragm call that got him to gobble and got him coming. And he gets there and he gets out of view of Yanni and I'm watching him and he gets where he can see the hill and he started getting bored and turned around. And I'm like, why is he not calling? Why is he not calling? Well, it turned out he couldn't see the, he thought the turkey was just coming and it was all over. Like why call now and mess up, you know, everything's already set in motion. Like why do anything? Yeah, because I've ha- I've had experiences, not many, but I've had experiences where it's direct line of sight with the turkey, and I didn't have the control to not call anymore. I just maybe wanted to hear him gobble again or whatever, and I called, and that turkey stopped and was like, I can see exactly the blade of grass <laughs> that that call came from, and I do not see a hen. Mm-hmm. I'm out of here. I'm out. So usually if I make contact and I see him coming, I'm shutting down. Yeah, because like why mess with a good thing? Like yeah. why draw extra attention? Unless you're like a ventriloquist. Mm-hmm. Why be like, <laughs> oh, by the way, this tree right here, by this shotgun. <laughs> yeah. So he drifts off. And Okay, because there's a part of this I failed. Up to the left is not an owl. <laughs> going, woo, woo. I'm like, oh, really, really, and you know, like, that's so. It's like you're working a bird, but you're also aware of like the coming trouble because this bird's goblin. So you know this some bitch can hear this bird goblin, and he probably thinks that he just discovered whatever. No idea what he's walking in on. Probably the nicest guy in the world, but. Pretty soon the hoo hoo switches the yep, 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 and he's just coming hard, man. It's like this guy's jogging. <laughs> it's like this guy's jogging. We never see him, but you just hear him like he's running down into this. And the turkeys start to move off, and he's behind him. And for a minute, we I'm feeling like, hey, man, we found this. We've been here since before it got light out, or we've been here since daybreak. It's not your holler. So <laughs> he's moving along. And the turkeys are now moving, and he's moving behind them. And we think we're going to game them and maybe get out ahead of them. But then we're just like racing over turkeys. And yeah, the turkeys went to his side of the holler. and So we went wandering around, found some turkey tracks, found like where a turkey had dusted a little bit or some such, stamped up and winged up an area, found a little pig track, found a bigger pig track, wandered around a bunch more. Uh, ate a snack made a whole bunch of really loud locating type calls hoping wind picked up started feeling sorry for myself come down oh man it was getting late in the day i was i I was having uh sympathy yep come down a holler hit a crick and start working our way up oh found a night crawler tore it up in little pieces and threw it in the river to watch creek chubs feed on it um get down to a creek and Giannis 
and we were both commenting like, man, does it look good down here? In like the main, the, the lushest place we've been in the last three days. The main stem creek. Yeah. Lots of sunlight, very lush. And we start working our way along, headed kind of like done. You got to quit. It's noon. You got to quit at one. We got a long walk. And all of a sudden I look and like here is a, <laughs> a bedded down turkey. Not but 10 or 12 feet away. In a blowdown. When a hen, like, a couple things. When a hen's, like, you know, nesting, and she actually, once she gets all of her eggs in there, she's going to incubate them. I throw up my shotgun, and I'm aiming down the shotgun at this thing on the ground, and Yana says, hen. But I, I've also seen turkeys lay down to hide. And you've seen this part. Oh, for sure. One, the one time I saw it, we were coming down a canyon in New Mexico and come around a corner and caught a turkey out in the middle of a field. And the turkey laid down flat on the ground and stretched his neck out and just laid down. Yeah. And, then got, and then got nervous and broke. Yeah, we, he, I think he thought that he had been just slick enough and he had disappeared you know, behind the horizon. Because we, I mean, we were in a tight little canyon, canyon, and it had just, you know, broken up. And it was like the first time you could look left and look down the opening, all you see is a turkey head, and you know, descending. And you could see him laying his neck out. Yeah, you remember seconds before that, we found where a mountain lion had killed a turkey. Yeah. Um. So he bedded. He just laid down to hide. That's the only. I didn't know. I didn't know that was a thing that could happen until that day. So I throw my shotgun up. Yanni says it's a hand, and I said something like. I'm just checking, making sure it's not a Jake. Yeah. <laughs> Why a Jake? I don't know. Because I thought like a Jake, he's young. He doesn't really know what's going on. Maybe he would think it's a good idea to lay down. And all of a sudden it jumps up and it's a crippled turkey. Yeah. A crippled gobbler. A crippled long beard who can't, t- he's trying to take flight, but he can't take flight. So, blouched him. To little effect, he went off through. I tore off after him running, short shucked my shotgun, pulled the trigger, nothing happened. Did a regular full long stroke on my shotgun, ran more, caught up to him out in the woods and shot him. And get up there, and he had, he had been injured. His wing was suffered an injury. And we did a, uh, do you say necropsy? Or yeah, necropsy. We did a necropsy on him. To no avail. Shattered. The main joint in his wing is shattered. Like he got hit by a twenty-two. He got hit by a truck. I but what, what did you make of the leg later? Oh, yes. And I wanted to ask you this. All, his back leg was all bruised. Was he running full steam or was he gimped up? Uh, so that The would... problem is he was trying to take flight. Ah. So he didn't run off so like the way a normal turkey right. would run. He was trying to take flight, so he's beating his wings to no effect. Yeah. So he was like putting all of his energy into trying to get airborne. He wasn't running with his wings tucked. So you couldn't tell about the leg at that point. No, no because it, all, it was a real. It was not like a graceful departure on his part. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, I mean, you had a uh, a, a shot on him in him within seconds of him getting going. So yeah, and it's noon. You only hunt till one. It's my last day. So, one, there's sort of like this idea that a lot of guys, if they find like a mortally wounded animal, they're going to kill it anyway, mm-hmm. which I've done. But 
I'm thinking, here's my turkey as well. And he's obviously messed up. So we go there, but he's not emaciated. And the wound wasn't an old wound. That was new. He, I don't know. He got shot by another turkey hunter. That's the most plausible explanation. Um, but I don't know, man. That wing was awful broken up. Who knows? Anything could have happened. Anything. There's an infinite number of things that could happen. Yeah. But now he's mine. Yep. Now he's going to Seattle. Head to the fryer. I'm going to schnitzel him. Cook him in a pan. So I got two turkey brass fillets in one leg. <laughs> Coming home light. Good deal, though. But I, I, still, I, I sit here take... now. At first, I didn't feel like I got a turkey. But you know how the details get in life? Like the details get hazy? Uh-huh. I now feel like I just got a turkey. <laughs> like, like <laughs> back, when I get home, just be like, hey, how's Missouri? Did you get a bird? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> because already, like at first, I was, you know, we pull up and like, did you get one? I'm like, well, not really. You know, it's kind of an asterisk next to this one. But that, that, like, that was three hours later. Yeah. Yeah, I got one. Yeah, check Missouri, <laughs> check Missouri off the list. In case you're wondering, I, I still feel like I didn't get one. <laughs> well, you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did. We know that, that much is clear is that you did not get one. Yeah. yeah. But if you'd have asked me on Monday at about ten o'clock if we were going to go three for four, I oh, I already had it all put together. <laughs> People are going to be like, hey, how'd you guys do in Missouri? I was going to be like, oh, bro, the weather. <laughs> the weather. Yep. You've never seen late. such. You've never seen such horrible weather. I was going to say that all before I said no. We didn't get any. But now, and they'll be like, uh, how, uh, that, you know, that bird you got down in Missouri, how far was that shot? I'll be like, oh, it was close. <laughs> <laughs> called him in. It was close. <laughs> it was close. He kind of turned. He kind of turned right before I got him. <laughs> was he drumming and spitting? No, he was doing like, <laughs> came in silent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Never a peep out of him. No. I, yeah. I got a turkey. Absolutely. No doubt in my mind about that. And hey, then, oh. hey, listen, had we not been just out wandering in the woods <laughs> until 1 PM, it wouldn't have happened. So the, the hard work of that paid off. Yes. To keep walking through the woods. Even yeah. if you're just walking around, like looking for night crawlers. Yeah. Keep walking in the woods. And then we came home and had, um, came back here and, uh, Steve, can you lay out the menu for us? What we had for lunch? Well, we had some venison chili and, uh, some of Brandon's, uh, uh, what kind of catfish was that? It was flathead, but it was donated by Mark Flashpolar. All right. Dude, if I had a name Flash Polar, I would fish a lot more. And I already fish a lot. He's a, a I'd shorten it to Flash Pole. Waterfall biologist. Really? Yep. Yeah. Flathead cats, man. Unbelievably good, but uh I love them so much, but we like growing up, we'd catch a big flathead and we didn't know how to trim the fat off. And my it's guys that stuff tastes bad. Yeah. Catfish fat's not good. Why is that? We I made- don't know, man. It's but it's not. It's horrible. Yeah, we made the mistake. Uh, when was that? Last fall, maybe we were doing some uh, cooking for television. No, cook. We we're shooting recipes for the cookbook. 
So we had that. I thought we had that oh, no, bad no, catfish right. when we were making you're right. the, you're right. the short we had video. A sto- yeah, yeah, we didn't have any. We were doing a fried catfish thing, but we had to buy a piece of catfish. Yeah, so, so someone cat- went and bought a big slab of catfish, and we're you know nobody even thought twice to. We just need to get yeah. Think about trimming it more. Obviously, it would have just been trimmed fine. And golly, it was nasty, nasty, nasty. Mm. The fat. Yeah. That's why I like the little channels we catch because little. Ch- not, I mean, you can trim it, but I mean the little channels don't get the fat on them. You call those fiddlers? I know that people do call them fiddlers, but no, we call them little dinkers. We call them fiddlers around here. Yeah, I know. Whole fries and fiddlers. Yeah, you just skin them back. We flay them. Because we eat them on pole. We Why eat them do on you my... call them fiddlers? I don't know. Just... Kevin Murphy says because they fiddle with your bait. Yeah. That's mm. a good, that's a good, yeah, that might be it. But yeah, you can just pull back the skin and, and fry, you know, take the head off and fry them whole. We fillet dinkers because putting them on sandwiches, pole boys. Mm. With pickles. That's good. Hoagie type roll, baguette, whatever, fry your catfish, make up like a like a like a you know, tartar type sauce, then you put red hot on them, pickles on them, lettuce on them. Basically like the kind of sandwiches they always feed you in Florida with grouper, but we just make them with kind of similar different bun. But the flathead was good, man. And the chili was like real chili. It wasn't like Midwest mom chili. It was from scratch. It's it. I love that stuff. Because I love Midwest mom chili. You know what I'm talking about, right? I don't. I don't know. You take like ground up deer meat oh, yeah. and put canned tomato products in mm. there, and then you put pinto beans in there. Yeah, I like it. I like the the venison cut more chunky than than ground, and uh, using real chilies instead of chili powder, and uh, in adobo. Yeah, chipotle's in adobo were in there. And uh, oh, I love it. I may have to have another bowl before I leave. Yeah, I like the fried. I like fried catfish, man. Fried any kind of fish because of my upbringing. But in the South, you guys eat a lot of that. You guys, don't, you guys kind of no. You say this is not the South. No, this no. isn't the South. This is saying, I thought it was the Midwest, and you guys say this isn't the Midwest. From where at where I'm from, you'd be like, yeah, it's a little South. It's technically the Midwest. There's 12 states mm. in the Midwest. Missouri's the southwest corner of the Midwest. I will say that Missouri is in the uh, University of Missouri is now in the SEC, the Southeastern Conference. Yeah. So when I'm running around in the holler, let's well, <laughs> down When I'm down in the holler, I have a hard time believing that I'm in the Midwest. It's a good argument. Especially talking to Parker. If I was down in the holler with Parker, <laughs> we're in the South. Yeah. But the, the the frigid cold north. That's all I have to say about turkey hunting. Action packed, and I like the way you set it up with the shitty first day. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to remark on that, man. That's like you know, because lo- looking up, looking back on it, yeah, it's just the way to have it. If you set it up the other way, that'd have been horrible. I did my best to have a screaming good first day, then have a shitty last day would be a bummer. It's unbelievable what what a difference it made though overnight. Just one day difference. It was it was the way turkey hunting is supposed to be. I actually thought maybe I'll find a mushroom. You know, this time of year we're supposed to be waking up with a sweatshirt on and ending the day with shorts and sandals on, going out mushroom hunting, Eating crappie mouth. fishing. You know, the the trifecta of the Missouri spring is the wild turkey, the wild mushroom, and crappie fillets. And uh none of those had been happening until yesterday. No. Hmm. And if you come back a week from now, you 
won't even recognize the place. It'll be all leafed out. Well, it started to change. Yeah, in the, in the last, last two days, days, the leaves started budding. Oh, yeah. yeah, things are popping up out of the ground. Yanni's yeah. friend was saying how this time of year you can sit in the woods and almost watch the leaves grow. I feel like that on happened day, on the, the day last like two days. And you guys, I'm glad you got to see a little bit of the red buds. That's such a beautiful tree, and and they grow here in these in these hills and mountains. And I know it's hard for you guys to look at these and call them mountains, but no, no, I'm with you. Yeah, so. Uh, the red buds were starting to pop a little bit, but like Steve said, a week from now when those those white dogwoods are in bloom and they're mixed in with those red buds, which are really more of a purple color, mm-hmm. and turkeys are gobbling, the crappies are biting, the mushrooms are popping. I mean, it's just the best. There's a good variety of trees here, man. It really is. We got like the the, the cedar, which is a non-native, shortleaf pine, a lot of oak, hackberry, a lot of hickory. Hickory. Sass- I noticed a bunch of sassafras trees today. Back at the turn of the century, the largest sawmill, not this n- new century, but early 1900s, the largest sawmill in the world was only you know, a couple counties over from here. For hardwood. Yeah, for hardwood. They were cut mostly hardwood. Yeah, the Ozarks were pretty much logged bare twice before protection started. Um, and now we have incredible canopy, and there's much more management of the forest, proper proper tree harvest rather than just taking it all in one fell swoop right i think yeah. originally the shortleaf pine was more dominant than the oaks but the oaks came back after the really there's yeah. still a lot of those shortleaf pines around when i'm looking to set up i'm always we're always like let's go ahead to those pines we're setting up to a turkey it's always like you're like marker you know i've got a little stand of them it's my favorite place on the property yeah we were wondering do the ozarks is there a place in the ozarks where the relief becomes more severe than what we see here yeah yeah i mean the ozarks stretch you know down into arkansas and over into a little portion of oklahoma and i would say the most dramatic kind of mountainscape is down in arkansas uh the wachita's and but do they get taller or just steeper i can't really speak to the elevation i'm not sure but just the vastness of the entire range the tallest the tallest point in Missouri, though, is a little ways north of here. So they're kind of scattered out. Um, what is the highest point in Missouri? It's right by Johnson Shut-ins. What's it? It's uh, Tom Sock Mountain. Mm. Tom Sock Mountain, which is the heart of the pig country. Yeah, I don't know how high it is. Yeah. That'd be easy to find out. Uh, Brandon, final thoughts? Closers, concluders? Just uh, never give up on tomorrow. <laughs> never give up on tomorrow. Never give up. There could always be a crippled up turkey landing. <laughs> <laughs> laying next to a log. next to a treetop. Man, yeah. you will never see that again in your life. No, I really won't. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a great time. Glad you guys came down. and um, I'm glad the turkey hunt worked out the way it did. It was tough the first day. and it, We redeemed ourselves. All worked out in the end. Steve, that's it? You good? Brandon? I'm good. All right. Steve? Uh, just, it was kind of strange being in turkey camp and not hunting. I've never done that before, but I was saving up for going up to my farm this weekend, and it was just fun to be with you guys and cook yeah, for you. Yeah, because you have a place you like to hunt. Right. And were you to kill a turkey here, you couldn't hunt your favorite place to hunt. Right. And my wife would have said, well, we don't have to go up since you already got a bird, and I know she really, really wants to go up, so I didn't didn't want to get into that situation, so... So you just cooked wild game. 
I cooked wild game, and I know right what tree my turkey's going to be in. So Yeah, sounds like it. Although he embarrassed me last year, I'm going to get even this year. Good. Giannis, final? Uh, uh, we appreciate the cooking. It was good. We ate a lot of good food. A lot of sous vide cooking. Yep. This week. Creme brulee sous vide. Hadn't even heard of that yet. Uh, we should grab the recipe from you before we leave. Yeah, can you can you real quick walk through the sous vide uh, medallions, little backstrap steaks? Yeah, that's just you just take a a, a loin and uh, butterfly it, uh, nice and thick, good inch inch and a half thick, and uh, uh, butterfly it, and just put salt, pepper, and garlic powder on it. Can you, can you hold on, man? Because my like I hear that, but I don't like when we say butterfly. I think we're talking about two different things. We would say that to butterfly, like for instance, to butterfly a pike fillet would be to take that fillet and every three-eighths of an inch cut through but not all the way through. That's what I do. I cut, a, I cut about a, th- a three-inch section of the loin. No, but, and- but you're saying you're cutting. I understand like I'm not saying you're – I'm not saying either of us is right or wrong. But our use of that term would be that um, – to not cut all the way through something. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. They they folded out, and there was like. Oh, so you did do that? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yes. So uh, I guess that because that's why. Yeah, but how? Really? That's yeah, what you a, did? A deer loins only. I know, but I thought it was like an elk loin when I looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's what you did? You did butterfly? Yeah, they were butterflies. We we're yeah. using the, it the same way. Absolutely. I didn't catch that. But you sure got like a uniform looking product out of it. Well, I. I take pride in my work. Wow, really? <laughs> Congratulations. Well, thank you. But uh, So you take them and put them in a uh, plastic bag. Them, like butter- what everyone knows that word means. That's right. Salt, open it up. Salt, pepper, and garlic powder and uh, put it in a plastic bag. So and, the meat's how thick? Uh, about, I'm going to say inch and, inch and a quarter. Usually I try to between, be between no, an no. inch. Inch and a quarter. I'm saying the final meat, the final opened up piece of meat. Inch and a quarter. <clears throat> okay. Gotcha. Normal, normally I'll do a two and a half to three inch section and then I'll, you know, do the one seam in the middle where you cut almost all the way through. Where you butterfly it. Fold it, fold it out and make it look pretty. I had no idea that that's what I was eating. Absolutely. Huh. And then I uh, put it in the water. I mean, you could take a long time explaining what sous vide is, but basically, you know, you just put it in the water in a bag and put the little immersion circulator on and I set it at 129 degrees for two hours. And uh, take it out and then... Finished it with a weed-burning torch. I did finish it with a weed-burning torch. <laughs> but holy shit, was that a good steak, man. Yep, yep. It, uh, you tried going uh, reverse? Because I hear guys torching them or searing them first now and then putting them into yeah, the bag. Yeah, but it just gets all soggy. Yeah, yeah, I don't... I, I have heard, like, if I'm doing a brisket, I will smoke the brisket first uh-huh. for three hours and then I'll finish it in the sous vide. Uh, I know you're messing this up, though. What? Reverse is to sear after because in normal cooking. Oh yeah, sorry. Right. He right. did do reverse. Yeah, and no one's gonna tell me about this wrong. <laughs> I have <laughs> heard even. what you're talking about, and I just like but yeah. It. I like did a reverse the, sear. It's a, like a reverse sous vide because the common sous vide preparation, I think, is to you know in the water first and then sear. Sure. At the end, so it's like a yeah. But that's not like you, a very smart way to do it because it just gets resogged. Is that a word? Just gets, <laughs> just gets soggy all over again. Yeah, I think, but what people, I think the, uh, the, the, the benefit is that the flavor that you get from the searing yeah, is then in, yeah, the, in, their, yeah, yeah. in the bag. 
he took these steaks out on the front deck here from which he uh hoots up uh, hoots up turkeys <laughs> and fired up a weed torch like a weed burning torch yep which like ranchers in west texas will use to, to burn thorns off prickly pear cactus so the cattle can eat them when there's a drought and seared the steaks beautifully that was a good steak man that's just white-tailed deer yep yep from a holler from <laughs> we don't have hollers in northern missouri we're, no, we're too close to iowa for that. that's up in the midwest yeah. you're yep. up in the midwest there part you of go missouri. yeah some big corn-fed deer up there is that it Giannis? ah uh, final closing thought you don't have too much just want to say thanks to brandon again for having us my pleasure sharing his place good times yeah. vacuuming up all them invasive beetles for us parker's got to get to work on those we got to figure out how to get rid of these Asian beetles. Yeah, those dudes are tough, man. Uh, Parker, do you have any final things you'd like to add? No, uh, thanks, guys. It was, it was a good time, and Brandon, for um, having us down. And, you know, I, I did come up turkeyless, but, you know, we heard a lot of birds in the in the last two days. It was a good time, man, finally get back out in the woods. The spring turkey season's yeah, upon us. I have full turkey pressure now. I have not harvested a turkey, so the pressure's building you got more time though i have a little time yeah so hopefully we'll get after one um my final thought is the way of hunting on public land in the east which you hear from all manner guys about how horrible public land hunting is in the east and i would have agreed with them at 1159 today (laughs) <laughs> yeah because you're like that, that, was, ass, that asshole that asshole we got that burned asshole. yeah we got burned by a couple guys but then i then i found my special uh my special bird but even besides that man it's just like it's god you know a couple things one it's still great hunting people got tur- you know you got a turkey we, people got turkeys we're working turkeys mm-hmm. hearing turkeys it's a lot better than sitting inside um but Man, like if you can get if you can get and be successful, regularly successful, like consistently successful in a place like this, you're gonna be a good turkey hunter anywhere you go. Mm-hmm. Definitely to have the added thing of the race against the clock, knowing that the more that like you're trying to make that bird goblin, you doing everything right is gonna get that bird goblin. The more you get that bird goblin, the more other people are gonna be like, hey, it's a bird goblin. It's almost like you'd refine a thing by which you, um, <laughs> like you'd refine a hunting strategy by which she's like, don't, just don't gobble. I just need <laughs> one gobble out of this bird and then I'm going to do, I'm going to figure out some hunting strategy by which they just will not gobble. I don't want him excited. Just everybody stay calm. And I just want you to casually come in and, as to not notify other hunters that you're down here. Because the more he's going, you can almost just feel him. You can feel the people being like, you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) But it's fun, man. It's a whole other challenge. It's a whole other challenge. And it's something that's like, yeah, I can see why people get frustrated with it, but I also see why it must make some really, really good hunters. Some turkey masters. Everybody should come down here to check out these creeks too, man. They're pretty amazing. Just yeah. tromping around the hollers and, and looking at these creeks that just come bubbling out of the ground. I was really Clear hoping, as a bell. Really hoping that we'd have an opportunity to float. That's partly what this area is known for. 
our rivers are just second to none. You know, and I'm a guy, I lived in Montana and Colorado, and I'm telling you, these Ozark rivers, they're just all, you know, gravel bottom, crystal clear. They're spring creeks. Dude, Poland Spring doesn't have water clear in that. The shit in the bottle at the store. Yeah, it's, it's crystal That's clear. Stuff, this water I'm drinking looks cloudy compared to the creeks you know, around here. We've got incredible trout fishing, but the smallmouth is what is so attractive. You know, there's great trout fishing out west, but our smallmouth fishing here is just world class. That's, in my mind, a smallmouth, this is the, we're going to wrap her up. But uh, I do want to acknowledge that you're saying something super truthful. Is, uh, a sm- in my mind, a smallmouth cooler than a trout. Go ahead. I agree. And we can float them and, and, and fish out of drift boat the same way you would fish for rainbows out west. And you're fishing them with, you can fish them with spinning equipment, but I prefer to fly fish. And so it's like you're, it's like you're trout fishing on a crystal clear spring creek, but you're, you're fly fishing for lunk or smallmouth. And no, they fight. Tr- for trout fishermen, I'd be like, you know, it's almost like, <laughs> it's almost like you're fishing smallies. Yeah. On a crystal clear Ozark stream. <laughs> but nothing but fights not. harder. Nothing fights oh. harder than a smallmouth. I, I agree. I think like that we used to say, like in Michigan, everybody's like like pound for pound. I would say for with freshwater fish, it's hard to find a rival. Yeah. And pound for pound fighting ability is a smallmouth bass. For sure. I think they're I think they're I think they're at least seven times cooler than largemouths. And what would be uh what would take second place? And Blue fresh gill. water. Bluegill. Bluegill. Blue no gill. shit. Pound for pound? No doubt. Oh, Blue pound gill. for pound. Yeah. Think of the shape of that thing. Right. And it's tough fishing, too, because of how clear the water is. So you, you do, really oh, good at, <laughs> do really good at dawn and dusk. So when you're out fishing with some poppers or any kind of surface plug, throwing a mouse or anything for these smallmouth at dusk, and they just come up and destroy it on the surface, man, it's exhilarating. I could picture that you'd have to use some some fine fluorocarbon line or something yeah. here, man, with all that light and all that clarity. Certainly during the daytime. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Oh, you know what I got to work on? A guy emailed in and he says, I have the worst way to end. It's the worst ending for a show he's ever heard. And he says, I need to work on a catchphrase. Oh. Hmm. Like, who is that guy who would say, like, good night and good luck? Walter Cronkite? Yeah, something like that. I need to work on something. Like a catchphrase. Good hunting, you freeloaders. Something along them lines. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys. Turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand... One of my main turkey hunting buddies. He loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com 
today.